I usually get my open ideas uh, like the day before, right? They just come to you? They just come to me. But um, the difficulty is when they come to me at night. I'm laying down. I don't want to turn on a screen. And I think surely I'll remember this. <laughs> Your brain doesn't work as well when it's laying down either. Oh, really? That's why you don't take like the MCATs laying down. Okay, that's the, yeah, I remember that in the prep course. Uh, the weird thing about the brain, though, when you get like an epidural, uh, not you, but um, if women get an epidural and the needle like leaves too large of a puncture or something and the hole doesn't heal properly, then you'll have uh, spinal fluid leaking out. And that's not like a problem, except when you're standing, you'll have like a massive headache. But when you lay down, the headache goes away. And that's like the the symptom of having a hole in your mm. spinal cord that leaks out spinal fluid because you don't have enough or you have too much surface area at the, you know, bottom side of your skull. So your brain doesn't have enough cushioning, so you get a headache. But when you lay back on your head, that's like a smaller area. So the spinal fluid that is there pools. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. You just figured out how to how to cure migraines, maybe. Just punch, puncture a hole in everyone's back. Leak a little <laughs> spinal fluid. <laughs> you know, I've only had a couple migraines in my life. Don't you get them? No, I don't get them. I think I might have had like one ever. I don't know. It, that's always tough, you know, like headaches in general or those kinds of pains because you're like, hmm, I've got what I would consider a headache. Right. But does that mean other people consider this a migraine or am I experiencing like such a low grade headache that I'm like, oh my God, I need some Advil. But people who experience migraines would laugh at me at this mild discomfort I'm experiencing. That's one that I've always wondered too. Um, because you know, Miho and I live in such close proximity. Uh, we're married mm -hmm. that one of us will usually get sick and then the other one gets sick. And it's always strange seeing how like the symptoms are. You're like, this is probably the closest we can get to experiencing the exact same thing and seeing, like, are we, you know, feeling at the same yeah. level or what? But yeah, I uh, I think I've only gotten a couple migraines. Um, But usually from, like, I'll get, like, tension headaches sometimes. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to be good about, I've got, like, a stretch band thing that I do this like shoulder exercise mm -hmm. or I think like they call it mouse shoulder. Um, but like if you, from like using a computer mouse, if you're like kind of hunched over and like moving it a certain way, your muscles are stretched too much on your back uh, forward or they're stretched too much. So you need to like tighten them up by doing these essentially kind of row exercises. They never get to that sort of relaxed natural position because you're always like right pronating your shoulder forward to grab the mouse and then you're keeping that shoulder stiff so you can rotate your wrist oh god something happened 
sorry. You, you in trouble? <laughs> no, we're needing to coordinate uh, maintenance coming. I thought you got, got. I thought you got swatted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Trey's at it again. <laughs> Here, let me let me look at the. I don't even know when that started. I'll just do around five minutes to make sure I check. Yeah, um, it's cool. I've got the. I can see the waveform where we all got quiet. <clears throat> yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to run away from you. Yeah, we've we've got a light out in the kitchen, and uh, need the air vent filter changed. They do it for free, so why not? And the washing machine. So, this is a problem. I've heard Jake talk about it. I started looking into it for like cleaning out the filter. Mm-hmm. It's a front load washer. It's a front load washer. Yep. And it smells like yep. the 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 drum doesn't smell, but it's like the rubber lining of it. And you know, we got dogs, so of course we're like cleaning out dog hair every time mm-hmm. we do a load. But uh, it's. There's something going on there and you can't pull it up enough to like actually clean it, but you can't pull this thing out because the so, cheap type that they bought is like it's in the back. The filter is. Oh, it's in the back. So on ours, um, there's a little bitty drawer in the bottom uh, left corner of the front. You pop that that little drawer off and there's like a wound up little rubber hose that's underneath the washing machine. You pull mm-hmm. that rubber hose out, and um, then you just run that into like a empty pan or bucket or whatever you got, and then um, there's like a little pump switch, and you turn that pump switch open, and then all of the water that's inside of the machine that builds up over time, uh, it drains all that water out. What's smelling is all that water that's just sitting inside yeah, yeah. the bottom of the machine. They also make... Um, like uh, drum front loading drum cleaner tablets. Oh, I've tried those. Um, yeah, but those you got to do like once every three loads or whatever to keep the smell from coming back. And then, of course, the other trick is just whenever you're not using it, always leave the door open. See, this is again. I would love to. I'm not saying torture, but just uh, intensely interrogate whoever designed this apartment <laughs> <laughs> because the way that it is with this, like, we've got our bedroom and the door opens into our bedroom, okay? Not complaining about that one. The laundry door then opens, it's immediate, like right outside of our bedroom door. The laundry door opens and completely covers our door frame. Oh, and then the way that the washing machine is, you've got to, you know, if you leave that open, those front loading ones have such a thick like glass front Mm -hmm. to keep clothes from getting, you know, in that rubber seal that the door is then at like a 45 degree angle. And then we've also, you know, apartment, California, we've got our shoe rack outside (laughs) In the hall. So now we've got about a space, <laughs> maybe a foot little, to get in little between. Little six-inch shimmy spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, it's not terrible, um, but it's just, you know, I would love to have the door closed as much as I... We leave it open, like, after doing 
around because it's you know it's wet inside yeah <laughs> Those things yeah, don't yeah. dry off but uh yeah it's we're we're learning yeah we're living and learning and loving and getting loves yeah i guess the only thing is just figure out where that drain hose is and then you gotta but it's stupid because the even if you have them like stacked on top of each other the washer is always on the bottom so it's always tough to get even on ours where it's supposedly convenient to get to the drain hose it's like i can barely fit my finger underneath to like yeah fish the hose out and then i have to get like the lowest level baking sheet that we have you know to lip the hose yeah, yeah. over the top of it but then it's like this giant cookie sheet that's filling up with like two inches of water <laughs> and i have to carry that and dump it into the sink <laughs> without spilling any of it is it's it's not a good it's it's all of it's bad <laughs> <laughs> the it's got to be because it fills up with water, right? Why it's on yeah. the bottom. And the, well, the thing that doesn't make any sense is that it has a pump system. So, and you have like the uh, drain that goes to your sanitary sewer line that's in the wall that goes up through that plastic hose. So when it evacuates the water out of the thing, it evacuates it out into the sanitary sewer drain lines. But the pump just doesn't pump that last whatever couple inches of water that sits in the very bottom of the thing which is why they have to give you the hose it seems like they could have more efficiently come up with a way to locate the pump so that it's on the actual bottom of the unit and will pump everything out and not leave like this just dirty film of water in the bottom that stinks up everything you know uh not to make you jealous but in japan uh our washing machine was a dual wash washer dryer. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. The space saving, top loading, so simple, and detergent there is so efficient. Ugh, just <laughs> I want to import one. You know, they they sell them. I thought about buying one um, before we moved into this house that it the washer dryer came with it. But if it hadn't come with it, I was going to buy one of those combo units just to save space um, and I didn't want to have a big stackable thing in a closet. Yeah, I know my my parents would probably have told me cuz like as a kid I'd be like, man, this stuff is so great. I remember uh like with a vacuum, Miho was telling me how all of her vacuums like the cord would, you know, you you pull it back and it coils back up oh, inside yeah, yeah. of Oh yeah, it's got a retractable little spring-loaded um wheel inside of it to roll the cord up yeah and i would tell my dad like why don't we have this innovation here he's like oh, those things break all the time no they do not break all the time it is uh <laughs> that is the uh narrow american mindset of no we make the best stuff here even though you have to buy new everything every two years yeah but see then japan makes just all the cheap stuff and sends it to america so then america's like oh these japanese products are terrible yeah, like, remember uh, Sony TVs and. Well, I guess you don't remember because you weren't alive, but like that was the big thing. Is that was the thing? My yeah. in the late '80s was just how terrible everything from Japan was, and what a what a sucker you were if you didn't buy America made. <laughs> you didn't buy nice, good Taiwanese no, products. No, we we were, we were the losers on the block who had a Honda Civic hatchback. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, now we've got like a Toyota and 
runs fine for me. We've had it for a long time. Actually, no, we need to take it in. Uh-oh. Friday. Uh-oh. I think, well, it's not, nothing's wrong with it. I think Trading like it belt. in for a Kia. <laughs> belt is loose. Move, moving on south. <laughs> south? Well, yeah, from Japan to Korea. <laughs> west would be the well, most southwest. accurate, I <laughs> South. Hold on, I need to see a map. <laughs> Map of Asia. I feel like I'm right. I feel like you're very wrong. I mean, compared to compared to the north of Japan, sure. Yeah, I didn't but, say uh, go north to northwest to China. If we're talking Tokyo, though, it is uh, Seoul is more north than Tokyo. Ah, uh, come on. This is riveting content. Yeah, you're, but you're but but what if you lay the globe out flat? Mm. Are we talking which projection? Which yeah, map yeah. projection? There you go. We got we got to really we got to look at what the latitude and longitude says to really know. Yeah. Did you know Angelina Jolie has the tattoos of the latitude and longitude of her kids? Where they are at all times, like <laughs> <laughs> it just constantly changes. It's no, like but that is going to be tattoo. the elite tattoo in a few years. Uh, no, where they're from. Oh, which is oh, where she adopted them from in, in yeah. uh, the Congo or Kenya or wherever. Mm-hmm. Which that's got to be. Uh, I would love for a North Texas woman to get that tattoo too. Well, this is Ulysses. Yeah. <laughs> And right here we got Grand Prairie. <laughs> well, well, our third kid was born in a in a truck out at the deer lease. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess that worked as an open. Good job. Go. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> you saved it at the last minute. Thank you. What's never ending to find the beginning that came before everything. Like kids with Dakotas Discover the wonder In the ordinary We didn't write the rules We just ride the tone Yeah, today uh, today's going to be a fun topic. Uh, so we've talked about uh, David Eagleman quite a few times on this podcast, going back to our three-part series on the brain like over a year ago. And then when we've talked about uh, consciousness and even in the senses series, we talked about the brain functioning and referenced some David Eagleman books. He's a neuroscientist. Um sort of cutting edge guy, knows a lot about uh, brain tech, does a lot of uh, sort of studies about the future ethical implications of neurotechnology and how that's going to impact all of our lives, especially with how fast uh, technology is advancing. Um, 
And so he put out a paper on Monday. I think it was Monday. Um, him and a group of other uh, academic colleagues, basically just uh, forecasting the future of non-invasive or minimally invasive uh, neuro um, improvements, technological improvements that we can do to our brains that is got less than an 18-year horizon of kind of coming to fruition. And with these ad, with the advent of these technologies just on the horizon, there's a lot of ethical implications about <laughs> what's going to happen when we have just the ability to read um, raw brain uh, data and translate that and then store that for future information purposes and then also write to the brain specific information, whether that gives you enhancements when it comes to education and learning or enhancements with your working proficiency or your actually like changing the behaviors of your screaming toddler, <laughs> all of those right. types of things. And uh, this technology is right there. It's right on the cusp. And if we don't, you know, sort of talk about the implications of what this what's going to happen, we're going to find ourselves similarly to where we are now, where 20 years after the fact, we're having conversations about the uh, how how integrated information is affecting our children through uh, multimedia devices and social media and the responsibility of things like Facebook. How do we how do we ever let it get so out of hand and not like put in these gatekeeping measures in the front end to guard our ethical motivations and guard our democracy and guard our children's minds? Um, well, we're we're at that point with much more invasive, uh, much more uh, trepidatious type of technology improvements to our actual brains, um, and so there's some good questions that need to be asked before that stuff happens. And that's basically what his paper is about. So Eric and I read the paper, and we are going to tell you all the horrifying details. Yeah, it is. Uh, the I mean, this is also the guy that developed like the vest that would vibrate on somebody's back mm -hmm. he developed uh the good technology of helping someone who is deaf that it could vibrate in specific patterns along with some speech and their brain rewired to recognize what somebody was saying and they could hear the words and stuff um i haven't seen much on that further development he also developed the one that it would vibrate in a specific way for the stock market yeah, <laughs> the person yeah. would like give, give you uh, stock market intuition without actually watching any of the tickers come in to know which stocks are going up and down. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's one of those things that it's, it's kind of ripe for, especially as Josh put it yesterday, like capitalism, <laughs> <laughs> it can certainly be monetized in a way that, uh, uh, could be kind of frightening, but, um, it's it's sort of like one of those things that uh I don't know the the funding of the paper was interesting to me just to start off with. Yeah. Um so the funders all of these people work at different companies. They're not like necessarily scientists for science sake, <laughs> which is uh always the way it goes but also disappointing. <laughs> um, well, well, how can you make any money if you're just a scientist for science sake? You end up doing like a podcast for free. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I was watching some, uh, I think it was like probably a talk. He kept bringing up atheism. So I think it was for some atheist group. But David Eagleman introduced himself like, I'm a scientist because I want to answer all of the questions, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, you're also employed by (laughs) this company (laughs) developing things. But it's, you know, funded by like the the National Institute of Health, um, the National Institute of Mental Health, all of these nice groups, Pennsylvania Department of Health. That's kind of cool. But then you get uh, the Department of Defense, um, DARPA. (laughs) So you got all of these other groups that are very interested in developing this technology mm-hmm. and they're so they're funding research in it they're funding quote unquote the ethical research into it so they're you know getting their uh bush memo together allowing for torture essentially right um but they're also working very closely with these companies that are working with the people who are developing the technology and the the main I don't know, thrust of the article or the paper is that we need to start thinking about all of the ways that this would impact us. And every single one of them that they lay out is like so depressing (laughs) (laughs) because you just, you can have a very modern analog and you know exactly how that's gone. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, it's it's very much the setup of we've got this list of of issues and there's going to be all these ethical conundrums and what we what you discover from reading the paper is that there's always been these ethical issues with lots of other past technologies and developments going back, you know, a century and seemingly we have never done the approach where we tried to pre-think about these things ahead of time and then bake in the the best methods to mitigate those things at the front end of the development we like the the history of all of, the, of all previous technologies has always been rush it to market then we'll let the marketplace you know right. work out all the all the kinks and bugs and the 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 deterious effects on human psyche and all of those things, those all come out in the wash and then we'll go back and be like, Oh yeah, now that we know what we know, we can modify some of these systems to try to make them better, but they all, they're doing really good at making us money. So I don't really want to modify them too much. <laughs> right. And so what, what this paper is really telling us is that we've been going through this technological revolution and because we haven't really been proactively doing these steps, now it's built up into this big chasm of if we don't do it now when the technology gets this amazing, we're going to be walking, we could potentially be walking off a cliff as far as like humanity is concerned versus, you know, the complete sacrifice of of human beings to capital and capital interests (laughs) like there's probably not a turning back point once everybody's raw brain activity is is up for sale yeah i would say (laughs) society is not at a great uh point politics wise for this to develop (laughs) like the 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 uh analogy he gave 
which was great is this stuff that's like altering your brain and we'll get into probably the technology a little bit later on like where it is and where it's going but essentially this sort of technology will reach a point where it's going to be almost wearable where you can put on a headset Mm -hmm. and it will enhance your attention memory learning mood or support interperson communication and knowing what we know about technology and uh say even just the market's, you know, rabid appetite for devouring new technologies, this is going to become the same as like needing to use a computer for work. And currently computers, or at least the workplace, requires people to use a computer and provides the chemical stimulant of caffeine along the way. Like there's, these things do currently exist where the company's like, we know you have to be staring at this and we don't want you falling asleep so we're going to just provide hey it's free coffee you know it's from starbucks it's the really really rich stuff and in some uh high-tech you know boardrooms and things they provide more stimulants than just coffee (laughs) oh of course (laughs) to to keep the ambition high (laughs) so it's it's not something that's foreign at all and whenever you can at this point um see the trajectory of this technology where they'll be able to you know shoot (laughs) like shoot freaking lasers into your head and make you stay awake or make you pay attention like it's not even that you'll be able to scroll facebook you know in your mind or something like that it's going to shut off that part of your brain right right or have the potential to so that you only do work and you know obviously the way politics ties into it is the need for productivity to continue to advance to increase profit well we currently have an eight-hour workday which everybody laughs at because everyone puts in more than eight hours right Uh, or 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 there's lots of jobs that demand an eight-hour workday and you sit there and you might do like 45 minutes of work but because it demands eight hours you have to sit there and like stare at a bunch of refreshing emails for the other (laughs) seven hours of the day that's where i'm going though like currently the eight-hour workday people yeah the amount of actual work that you're getting done we all know this is way less than eight hours now imagine they have a switch they can do where they are making you do eight hours worth of work. <laughs> yeah, and and you know? the switch potentially isn't not. It's not like a uh, a thing where you're like, oh no, who's controlling my brain all of a sudden? I don't want to work. I can't stop myself from working. So amazing. Oh, I hate this. It's the the concepts of these uh, this this type of uh, brain transfiguration is. Uh, really decoding all of the signals in your brain to the point where then they can map it back onto you and make you you feel then like these are my ideas i i am you still feel probably like you have the agency that i'm the one who's wanting to do all this work like i'm mm-hmm. i'm just loaded up on this fucking methamphetamine bender and i'm ready to work for the next 28 hours straight type of thing yeah well it's kind of interesting because so like the it will make it where you're doing the stuff, but there's also like there's currently uh, this this 
U.S. government-funded program called BrainGate, and they they do like sensor arrays, and they put like this small little stuff in your brain, and uh, work a lot with like Parkinson's patients or people who have lost mobility in an arm, you know, paralyzed or um, something like that, to give themselves the ability to control their limbs, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, now this is, you know, current technology, um, Parkinson's patients with implants that have these ones that like give these brain signals to control tremors. Uh, and if you've ever seen a Parkinson's patient, like the tremors are, can get very intense where, you know, they lose function essentially. Mm-hmm. These, these impulses counteract the tremors so that you can then completely control your arms or legs or whatever, you know, fine-tuned motor skills like picking up a fork or something. But the people feel more aggressive when they're on. Not every patient, but some patients say that they're something about having it go on in their brain um is very unnatural. Like depressed patients that have deep brain stimulation say that they feel artificial and like even though their brain is like no longer depressed they no longer have that brain chemistry going on that's causing them to be depressed they feel artificially not depressed not yeah. like genuinely not depressed yeah that's that's the interesting thing is that we have currently the neural imaging capabilities to get incredibly granular like down to the synapse level of what can be seen. And we talked about this back with uh, the senses episode, but even with how granular we can get now with the current imaging technology, it's still not even close to how granular the actual synapses firing and the functions of the brain. Um, we, we can't image every single transfer of information every single one and zero that gets transmitted between two neurons we 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 can't image that level yet but the imaging we do have gives us the ability to make very good predictions about what is going on with brain activity so when we see certain kinds of brain activity from a person in an fmri we can map that, and then if we see similar types of brain activity on another person, we can make very good assumptions about what it is that person is experiencing based upon the history and the record of other information that has been recorded. So it makes it such that you can develop technologies that take advantage of that to then um, either suppress some of those um, brain activities that might be distressing to the individual or enhance certain parts of those um, brain activities so that it can help a person who has some type of deficiency in a certain area or uh, especially with like motor capability and movement and things like that. But because the imaging is only granular to a certain scale and we are, can make these general one plus one equals two type of conclusions, we aren't seeing all of the residual affected 
um, brain activity and information that's going on when you just make these uh, simple kind of corrections. There's all these sort of downstream effects that happen when whenever you start to tinker with the brain and things that we just don't know yet, which is where this technology is headed. Um, but the the basic point being that we can do stuff right now that can modify behavior, modify motor capability and and do things. And we are already seeing that these have distinct consequences as far as like a person's sense of self, their sense of identity. Um, and those types of things can be extrapolated when the technology gets better. And if you have like a person now has to do uh, non-invasive brain enhancement for their job and they have to work at their job 40 hours a week, if they're strapped into this device 40 hours a week that is specifically stimulating their uh, motivation to do work or, or specifically stimulating a process in their brain so that makes them work more efficiently with fewer mistakes... If they're plugged into that for that that many hours of the day, five days a week, what kind of downstream effects does that have to that person's personality, that person's sense of identity, that person's ability to have human to human relationships outside of the workplace? And how is that sort of reconstructing and rewiring of their brain? Do, are there any permanent effects that you've now created new neural pathways that are dependent upon this neurostimulating device. And if you're not plugged into the into the device, do you have senses of depression or other sort of mental health downside effects because you're no longer plugged into this device and now you're reliant on the device to get any kind of productivity out of yourself. So there's, there's just a lot of things that are need to be considered. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, at the beginning of uh, cars being invented, it was extremely dangerous to have a car, yet you had this entire industry pushing for people to have cars because it's much yeah. more efficient to get to work. Well, yeah, you, you didn't, the you, they didn't design roads and traffic systems and traffic lights and safety procedures before they designed cars. Like cars were hitting the road on the on the actual dirt roads next to the horses and buggies that had no <laughs> no semblance of any kind of traffic rules or traffic laws at the time. And it was only yeah. after you created the technology that you'd built the infrastructure to handle it. <laughs> One of the things when it was talking about like the the different ways that this technology could be used that went off in my mind is like we currently have, you know, like phantom phone vibrations yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah know? i so, i think i thought i got a text and you look at your phone and you didn't get a text <laughs> like at what level is that going to occur in our brain i was wondering too like the person who wears the vibration thing on their back to let them impart speech are they suddenly going to just have a word pop into their head mm -hmm. you know because it's their their back feels something and when you get down to the the brain level too, you're having these things stimulated with electrical impulses, but that could still be downstream sending uh, neurochemicals, neurotransmitters and stuff <laughs> across right, the brain. Right. You you so, don't know necessarily how, where all the stuff is firing and, and which things are getting affected. But it, you're using up the, the chemicals, you know? Yep. 
so it's that's also like the risk of losing autonomy or losing or you know gaining more depression or something like that is very relevant to all of this um but one thing you mentioned was like if you get all of this data and you're going to need to collect a ton of data on what it makes people do and then see how that would affect other people so you're like transposing this information onto somebody else Mm -hmm. not only is each person's brain different but understanding that fact means you're going to need to collect a ton of data yeah and uh companies are not great at keeping that stuff (laughs) (laughs) come on come on what are you talking about the the nsa does a great job of keeping data (laughs) (laughs) so they this is one that they like really spoke about of just you know how important it is that uh this information even more than like a dna genome that you send into 23andme like this is your it could be your entire thoughts that's the thing too all of the information they need to collect is like all of it and what they think that they need to look at is only a small section of it but that means that you could have all of your thoughts or all of your subconscious, uh, you know, brain chemistry recorded and available somewhere. Yeah, you, know? you have like, you have to collect the entire fire hydrant's pressure's worth of information to filter through it to find the couple drops that might be relevant to whatever project you're working on. But in order right. to do that, you've collected an entire fire hydrant's pressure worth of information. <laughs> and, you know, that includes... Very simply, just passwords versus, yeah. you know, if you're like uh, harboring some resentment against someone, you know, like all of these things can be decoded. Like it is, uh, there's current technology now where they can um, have somebody watch a movie or watch video clips and then just take the signals out of their brain and reconstruct what they're viewing it's not perfect yet, but uh, I mean, the article I read was like one year old, so I'm sure it's advanced. Mm-hmm. These things advance exponentially, essentially. Yeah, when we were back on the sleep episode a few weeks ago, that was one of I read an article similar to that about dream imaging, and basically, it is you have thousands of people sit in an fMRI, and each of them watch like. Uh, I think it's something like 500 hours over a certain period of time of different just randomized YouTube footage. And so they, the researchers know what the YouTube footage is for the input, and then they look at what's going on in the people's brains when they're looking at all these various YouTube images. So they got, that's like the control. Then... They take that brain data from all the different users to say, okay, this is what a brain looks like uh, when it's looking at a flower. And this is what a brain looks like when it sees someone who has an angry face. And you do that with enough different images, you you create a huge encyclopedia of images that match certain brain activity. Then you put other people that don't know anything about the YouTube video or anything in an fMRI while they're sleeping and you have them dream. And then while they're dreaming, you look at what their brain activity is. And then you go back and you plug that brain activity into a reverse image generator based upon the brain activity that you mapped from the YouTube clips. 
and the reverse generation of their brain activity using that encyclopedic knowledge generates a new video that is similar to what that person was visualizing while they were dreaming. And as you create, as you build up a bigger and bigger library of this visual data that relates to certain types of brain activity, you get a more robust and nuanced system full of very slight variations on visual data. And you can essentially develop a brain imaging machine or a dream imaging machine so that when anyone has a dream if they have the brain activity from that dream they doubt they just download that brain activity into a computer and that computer will create a video simulation of what that dream was and you can go back and watch your dreams that'd be so weird (laughs) (laughs) but it's real it's like really happening like this this is not this is not sci-fi stuff right and so I think the thing with data that's so crazy about it is they're going to be able to collect all this information. It's going to be insanely personal. But just to look at like data protection real quickly as far as like the internet is concerned, um, I went down this rabbit hole of internet privacy laws. The, you know, before the internet even existed, Uh, We have Sweden in 1973 enacting the Data Act, which is the world's first national data protection law, just protecting each person, you know, making sure that any company keeps that keeps data has to keep it secure. Mm -hmm. Now you go a little bit wider scale and you have like some developments with the Internet going on. You have in 2009 the European Union enacting for the first time an e-privacy directive, which forced companies to tell visitors that they used cookies. Not like opt out of it or anything, just tell people that we use cookies. (laughs) Just in case you didn't know, in the background, we're taking all your information. (laughs) (laughs) The thing with cookies is in 1994, there was a company that they they didn't want their own servers to keep track of like half ordered, like, you know, essentially like the virtual shopping cart kind of thing. Okay. They didn't want their servers needing to keep that info. So they asked, um, I think it was Netscape or a company working for Netscape to develop a system where that information would be stored on the own person's computer. And in 1995, these people invented the cookie technology and further developed it to track people. Yeah. So it took once you've opened 19... the door one way, then it goes the other exactly. way too. From nineteen ninety five until two thousand nine, cookies were prevalent. <laughs> like everywhere you went on the internet was being tracked. And it wasn't until two thousand nine in the European Union that the companies had to even tell you that they were tracking your information. So that's why I say that this is probably the most depressing like episode we've done. <laughs> but then you go down to, um, you know, the general, everybody's seen like the General Data Protection Regulation Act in 2018 um, that actually tells people and gives them the option to opt out of things. Um, you're supposed to be able to only opt into things, but... The companies are like, well, we got a loophole where 
Uh, if you're using the site, that means you opted in. Yeah, so you yeah. have to now tell us. <laughs> um, and now imagine every single website you have to use. Like, you cannot live off of the internet now. Right. So again, this is how the technology forces you to use it. Then we go in to just say the U.S. internet privacy laws. It wasn't until Obama that internet privacy laws and restrictions were really put in place. Uh, but then in 2017, trade groups lobbied for Jeff Flake and a few other uh, people, only receiving like 22000 and $20,000 each in donations to completely abolish internet privacy laws. Um, in June 2018, in California, uh, statewide, it passed a law that restricted companies from sharing information without permission. Uh, but they left it in that if you opt out of them allowing or allowing them to sell your data, then the companies can charge you more money. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we don't want to pay you for your data, but if you don't give it to us for free, then you got to pay us. <laughs> right, exactly. So this is this is like the current state of things. And again, how long has the internet been around? How long has tracking people been around? So that's kind of like where this starts to get really muddy with these brain augmentations because the... Current restrictions are, one, being flouted all of the time, mm -hmm. uh, and two, may not even apply. Like, HIPAA um, protects health information, but this brain augmentation, if it's something to help you focus better at work, that's not health-wise. So that's not covered, like, at all under right, HIPAA. Right, right. It would be covered, like, the same as if your boss put a ping-pong table in the break room. To, to give you a little downtime so you can you don't feel too stressed <laughs> right so it's the the data side of it is really concerning because again it's like these companies aren't great at keeping your data safe but they're also at the same time any data they get are trying to use it to sell advertisements like i was reading this one article um it was from the new york times and one of the, the scientist researchers, and this is, again, you have to remember, the people who are making these things are working for companies, <laughs> like yeah. the, the smart scientists who are developing this stuff. And they're talking to the scientist about his, you know, does he think this is a good idea and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, think how great it would be if you're at work, your brain would be able to pause the advertisements because it would know that you're working so you could focus on your work. Like he's already imagining that advertisements are going to be shot. Oh, it's into all going to be filtered into your brain. You got to. You need a filter system to get those out of your brain. <laughs> it's not like it's not the people who are developing it are not looking at it from the aspect of improving society. They're they're looking at it from how can we then use this to make the company money. <laughs> right, right, and that's why you know the major points on this paper are like. Number one, this can only be done if we establish robust uh, protections and laws and rules that force it to be an only an opt-in type of system. Everyone is out, at, no matter what, unless you get, figure out a way to give consent. And then they go into a long piece about, 
even how can you give consent in a brain augmented world like can you give uh, informed consent and what is the difference between like affirmative informed consent and just consent like there's this idea of passive consent in the in the internet and technology space where simply by like you said by like using a website that is you voluntarily saying i consent to all of the terms and conditions that go under this website even if i haven't like read them or know what those i haven't been educated on what all the consequences could be i given you consent so they have defined it as well that's a passive consent it wasn't an informed consent you didn't sit down with this person and explain them all the things that could happen like you know like a real estate agent or a lender has to do before you sign up for a loan they've got to like sit down and explain all this stuff to you so that you know that what's going to happen if you don't pay back this money <laughs> and all that type of thing so yeah. there there the the paper is really about trying to come up with as many strategies as possible to mitigate these potential downside effects um but there is also sort of the issue of thinking about how to mitigate these effects in a in you're thinking about mitigating them using the technology of current times not thinking about how to mitigate them using the future technology to mitigate the future technology so like if you if technology exists where you can have sort of telepathic communication you can have brain to brain communication you can have you can create a office place of hive minded people that are seeing what other in their mind's eye they can see what their other people on their team are seeing on their computers so they all know what's going on at the same time and uh, having some sort of uh 2007 based internet protocol to prevent to to say i give informed consent to this doesn't work when you just put a hat on when you walk into the office and then all of a sudden all this stuff is beamed into your head there has to also be a way that utilizing the new technology you can then put constraints on the new technology you can't just invent ideas to put constraints on the new technology using old technology then that's another sort of conundrum chicken and egg thing like do you have to have a lot of this stuff out in the world to get enough testing enough sort of experimental time on the ground so you can really know how it's all going to work before then you can use that technology to constrain itself and how big of a sample are you going to need in order to really test all of these new technologies before you know all of the consequences so there is going to be some just unmitigated risk like no matter how well intentioned and how great of a pre-ethical program you come up with there is going to be the time where the baby bird has to fly out of the nest and no one knows it's going to happen at the, that moment you know there's going to be the moment where we jump off the cliff and we don't know if we can fly or not so um it's important to try to think of all these potential things and even think of all the contingencies on top of the contingencies ahead of time so that we can adjust better on the fly whenever these things hit hit the market. But we have to understand that there is going to be a lot of loose ends that are decided once this is out in the wild. 
Yeah, especially when you've got people like uh, Elon Musk. Right, right. Who's, who's leading it. Um, because the I think the, you know, you've got the Neil deGrasse Tyson sort of mindset of, well, you know, people dying in 9-11 and 100 bus crashes a year, it's the same number of people, so why, why do we care about one over the other? Um, <laughs> it's sort of like... <laughs> The, the mindset of developing it and figuring out the constraints is going to be the most difficult part. Um, and especially when you've got, you know, dinosaurs that are writing any laws. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the other that's the other big thing. And I think that is probably somewhat um, if if these things are coming online in 2040, I feel a little bit better that the people that are in charge at that time are going to be more savvy technologically than the people who presided over the onset of the internet and smart devices because they had no life experience with computers by the time they were elected and then they were still sitting in those elected positions having to make decisions about the internet and devices that they had no life experience with whatsoever. Man, they're they're all still going to be alive though. <laughs> so, yeah, somehow these brain augmentation devices are going to keep like Mitch McConnell and Chuck Grassley yeah. and all these people alive till they're 150 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the development too, um, like the technology of it. I don't know Wh- which way do you want to go because the uh, the DARPA thing's very interesting, but the child child use is also interesting. yeah. The child use is. I think we got to talk about the DARPA thing first because that talks about um, the the goal of why why this thing started getting accelerated and then why this paper it was written as sort of a response to the advances from the DARPA grant. Yeah. So the, you know, the DARPA, what is it? Department of advanced research projects or whatever. Yeah. We um, talked about DARPA before with the stealth project and other things too, but yeah, they've got a next generation non-surgical, non-surgical neurotechnology program, uh, In which is just, three. In three, which is granting money to six different companies. And I read up on their actual grant, and it says on a public website, (laughs) you can go look this up. It's our money. (laughs) (laughs) The Josh is personally funding. Yeah, and Eric. Um, Eric and Josh have both personally contributed to the funding of this project. Thank you for your Patreon money. It's going straight to this. They want to develop, and this is a quote, high-resolution, bi-directional brain-machine interfaces for use by able-bodied service members. These wearable interfaces could ultimately enable diverse national security applications, such as control of active cyber defense systems and swarms of unmanned aerial vehicles, Mm -hmm. or teaming up with computer systems to multitask during complex missions. (laughs) So it's like Robocop, but for, for war, (laughs) it's Robocop for war. And they have the ability to no longer need to scream at these people until they lose empathy. They can just turn it off with a switch. Right. You got it. You figured it out. Yeah. There's a guy at the university of Houston who won part of this grant and, uh, 
I was reading on on his page, but his whole idea was he played a lot of Call of Duty, and he was like advanced warfare, and the you know there's like this ability in Call of Duty where like uh, you can stream what you see as a as a human to to a drone so the drone can see like oh the guy's like hiding around the corner because the guy on the ground saw him hiding around the corner so you're streaming your thoughts to the drone and then the drone can also see the thoughts of like 50 other soldiers on the battlefield so then it can make very precise targeting decisions based upon the visual confirmation of all of its buddy soldiers that are down on the ground. So using those human thoughts streamed to the drone's brain, then it can make the proper attacks. And so he was like, well, we could do this in real life. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, so basically like the idea is, so what happens in a soldier's brain? This is his quote. So what happens in a soldier's brain when they see a tank the, ac- the action happens in the vision center of the octopical cortex, which has a peculiar trait called retinopathy. Let's say you see the letter M out there in the world. It actually gets mapped upside down onto your visual cortex, literally like a W. So literally, he said literally again, if you do a functional MRI scan on the active brain cells, trace out the letter so faithfully it looks like the, the cortex has been branded with an M. So you see a tank, it would be reproduced similarly in the visual canvas of the brain. So you would see an upside down version of a tank actually branded onto your visual cortex. You can take that signal and then send that to, you can digitize it and send it to any type of information you want. So you could have, the idea would be not just like for drone information, but if all of the soldiers like on a team had the same augmented device... And the, the guy who was on the lead of the team saw that one of the quote-unquote bad guys was hiding around the corner. All of the guys on the team would have in their mind's eye the same visual representation of that guy hiding around the corner that the team leader saw. And because your brain is good at multitasking, the idea would be that everyone in the team would all in their mind's eye have what everyone else in the team was all also seeing. So you would have this high visual perception to help you navigate the battlefield even better. By You wouldn't even have to communicate with anybody through words because you would see what they saw in your head. And I love that the paper put this as saying like, inequalities on the battlefield (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) like they care at all about that um it's it's insane that there's people who are like so gung-ho about this i knew a guy in college that he was like um very excited to work at you know raytheon or wherever to make missiles (laughs) and he's like Oh, it's like so in protect people at home. It's, it's like just so no, cool. you're just a psychopath. <laughs> and they pay me a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so it's the technological advances are insane, but then you have a large sum of money that's going into it. So how are you going to get like any restriction when the lead developers are going to be the military, the same military that is telling these people 
actually, you need to increase our funding because uh, global warming is going to be a national defense threat. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to fucking shoot the heat out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> if we only have more missiles, we could knock a lot more of this carbon out of the sky. Like it's that's the thing is this paper does a good job of laying out all of the different areas, I suppose, that are possible for misuse or use. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think most of it is misuse. Like it's it's going to be tough, you know, like everybody loves FaceApp, the app that makes faces. And then we regret to inform you that they're selling all of your information to foreign countries. Right. And so there is the huge concern that the first purveyor of all of this technology is going to be the military, specifically the United States military. So before it's even like in civilian hands or even able to be like to test it on a civilian basis for other types of uh, potential causes for public good or whatever, it's going to be in wide circulation use in the military. Two, uh, because it's going to be wide circulated use in the military, um, the idea that there's going to be good health protocols that are going to be, you know, taking care of these uh, human guinea pigs as they embark on these uh, non-invasive technologies being implanted into their brains, um, you, likely that, you know, there there's going to be quite a few fuck-ups in the first few rounds of these human guinea pigs, and the them being taken care of by the VA or whatever later on is probably not going to be prioritized in, in any sort. <laughs> what? <laughs> the government doesn't take care of the people it sends off to die. But bigger than all of that is that when first it gets to the military... And basically, that's the initial testing ground. The The most wealthy companies that engage with the military are also going to have the most cutting-edge versions of this once it becomes commercially available. So then you're going to have a very... Uh, what is already a too-widening uh, gap of haves and have-nots when it comes to the wealth disparity gap and... Um, and property and housing and all of those things, the wealthiest of the wealthy are going to have access to these technologies while the poorest of the poor are not going to have access to these technologies. And that's just going to further the already widening gap between those two groups. And so when you have uh, a group of people that might now become augmented to be more productive, uh, less empathetic, uh, more ruthless type of human beings that now also have the power seats in the society and they are they now have the ability to withhold this you know holy grail of technology from the lower classes so that they cannot participate in the same in this equitable you know new technology environment so you're going to have this this widening gap problem. So you have to figure out a way that you're going to, if this technology is destined to become ubiquitous, you have to really, at the very first stages, say, this can't just be tested on military at the beginning and then given to all the top financial corporations in the world. This has to be something that we test 
as a government, as governments, we come together and we create programs that allow this to be tested amongst all races, all classes, all age groups, and try to have this release be equally available to everyone in the population to try because, but it's still not, even if you have the best rollout, the most equitable rollout, there's still going to be instances at which there, there's a widening gap between the upper class and the middle and lower classes when it comes to this technology. Yeah. I just can't see that good of a, a system rolling out this, this stuff that wants to have, because it's, again, going to be made by companies, so it's going to be sold. Yeah. It's not going to be donated. <laughs> like, you can't even get free internet. Um, so, I don't know. The the use, too, as you say, like guinea pigs, this will invariably start to affect children in certain ways mm-hmm. um, because there's, you know developments of these these brain interfaces that are trying to change behavior in people and it will obviously become a you know is there a problem child yeah. in school my six-year-old can't sit still in class can right. i can so i beam to, something into his head to make him sit still for those eight hours a day please we'll label it with dunce or something <laughs> but it's it's something that will no doubt be developed right right um but this is it it harkens back to like um like when i was in high school uh i guess college too and my dad and my stepmom had two kids uh they're like you know babies they can't talk they can barely speak uh but they would just hand them ipads and they were amazed because they were boomers at how good these kids could use an iPad. Like they're like, oh, they're so smart. It's like you know, it's like the I is for intuitive pad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but they, you know, were able to use it. They they used the iPads like at such a degree that the uh like my parents didn't understand, like, okay, well, they were very smart with this they didn't notice that like they their ears were plugged or at least one of their ears were plugged for years so he didn't develop speech normally Mm. because he couldn't hear but they like just never paid attention to that because they were like well he's so good at the ipad um so you have like these things where one you lose that parent-child connection on these things but MRI scans have shown that there is lower brain development in preschoolers that are given screens to interact with. And in the studies that they've looked at, about 90% of kids are using screens by the age of one. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those trade-offs where, uh, you know, it's it's a very bad trade-off, that the people who are, um, I guess, of consenting age can use the technology but find it new and novel, but then would no doubt pass it on to their children that do not have the brain development that allows for use and then non-use. You know, most people are addicted to their phones anyways. Right. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that once you're going to, like, 
put a cap on a kid or, you know, have a crib that beams something into their brain so that they fall asleep at a certain time or stop, you know, talking back or a toddler's throwing a tantrum. So you want them to calm down because you're at, you know, a nice restaurant, Applebee's or whatever. <laughs> um, like there's, <laughs> there's definitely going to be uses for these things and there's going to be development, but the paper points out the like rights of children needs to be forefront as all of these aspects do in developing these things because you can't, I don't know. It's one of those things where you're like, is the kid doing it or like, does the kid want to calm down <laughs> Right. or should you actually parent, you know? And so th- there's also the consideration too, especially like when you talk about the screens with toddlers and their development and things like that, when you have developed in a world without screens and then you get screens later, you utilize, you see them as like a novel tool. When you develop your entire life with the screen, your brain will develop differently as just an inherent part of the process. Like Mm -hmm. you, you will not develop in the same way someone developed without a screen because the person that developed without a screen had to develop modalities inside of their brain for, you know, certain type of memory functions that you might not need if you always have a device because you offload those memory functions to the device or certain organizational and correlation types of functions that your brain might do with information you might not do those things because you have offloaded that information to the device and so while you might not have the typical brain development the way that your brain has developed has developed in concert with a device that you can offload a lot of functionality that other people didn't have the opportunity to offload so you might actually be developing other parts of your psyche and personality in a different way than any other human pre preceding you that that grew up without having a screen from birth would have developed um, so we are seeing like these first kids that grew up from birth with with smart devices. We are going to see in real time what this experiment was like <laughs> to see like how what types of new t- personality traits is a person going to have where they have completely lived this experience without knowing a different experience. Um, and that's going to be the same issue when you have these uh, these brain enhancements. And p- part of the other discussion with kids is in in schooling, do you make it such that as part of your equitable system as a government to make sure this technology is used for the social good, do you implement these types of devices in type of inside the classroom in order to, boost um, attention and actually you can beam information into the kid's brain so that you don't have to do so much rote memorization that used to be the old way of learning and those types of things like this information is now just at a it's not actually stored in my brain but it's stored in a way where I can go get it into my brain if I need it Um, so I don't need to go home and memorize flashcards for the next week does that have such a positive benefit that you utilize kids in the classroom as a large 
sort of equitable rollout of this technology so that everyone gets to participate at least at the introductory level. And so you have fewer kids left behind in an education gap in the future versus the kids. You don't have this competition between like private school kids who get augmented and public school kids who don't get the augmentation. And what I'm wondering though is, you know, this, as you're kind of saying, trying to think of uh, barriers or frameworks or whatever from our current technological standpoint is difficult. What what sort of future are we even looking at? Because if you could develop this technology that say, you know, somebody's performing a surgery and they can have the information beamed into their head or have, you know, the something like go off where it, it shows them, you know, a map of say uh, whatever they're you know, doing surgery on. Why would we do that instead of just then making a robot do it, you know? Right. So it's at what point do you get to where, like, what is the point of having school if you can just have information in your head and develop things? Like, are kids going to be the thought leaders, like where you're just using them and seeing like, well, what perspective does a younger brain have on all of these issues? Um, yeah, you get you get to have the more uh, I think you get to have the more Paulo Freire type of school experience where instead of uh, it school all about being just loading raw information into these kids heads, it's more about having them understand that they are not a, you know, a third party observer to history and reality and things that are going on, that they are actually part of the story. They are embedded in this thing and their actions have direct consequences to the outcomes of the story. And yeah. you have the, you have much more room to have these types of dialogues inside the classroom about more situational awareness, experiential awareness, um, behavioral awareness, interpersonal type of communication, uh, the, you know, the, how, how information is used for political means, how propaganda is used. You have more avenues to actually have those types of discussions because you're not spending all of your time trying to get these kids to memorize their multiplication tables. But then what point do you reach where you you know, what is the point of talking about those things? Like what culture even emerges because you no longer have stories being passed down to people like we currently don't. Um, and you know, we've spoken about like free will scientifically, mm -hmm. you know, um, how it doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, you know, all of everything is just because of the particles from the big bang onward are just in this motion yeah but we're riding the wave buddy <laughs> does this then totally destroy any understanding of free will because you're going to reach a point i mean we've reached a point now where i would say it's maybe at a tipping point um right before the tipping point of understanding addiction as a disease and something going on in the brain the chemistry that's jacked up that's causing somebody to be addicted not not a per, crime not a personal failing of of conscience right. or whatever uh crime is also one that's going to be 
soon, I feel, adopted in the same sort of framework. Um, But, you know, if you look at it from the free will aspect, you can take, um, I read a quote from Engels on uh, crime, and his quote was, distress due to poverty gives the worker only the choices of starving slowly, killing himself quickly, or taking what he needs where he finds it, in plain English, stealing. And it is not surprising that the majority prefer to steal rather than starve to death or commit suicide. This, obviously, you know, crime from poverty um, exists, but whenever you have this augmentation going on, are people going to no longer view it that way? Like what? Yeah, I think that you have to. I think that there's probably an issue where when this stuff comes online, you're going to have the immediate sort of drawback or the immediate feedback of similar to anti vaxxers or whatever. You're going to have a certain portion of the population that's like, this technology isn't tested. This is the mark of the beast. This is Satan. This is whatever, whatever it is. And they, that 30% will refuse to participate and violently refuse to participate. You'll have the people who are compelled to participate because they have no other choice, whether it's through their job or because they're in the military or whatever that position is in society, they will have no choice but to participate. And then you'll have everyone else who says, well, this is the way the world is going. I would rather move with the world than be left behind. So let's move forward. Now, my inclination will be to always progress the technology, even if it's not fully ethically fleshed out, um, even if we know there's going to be cons- downside consequences. Because I think, especially with this type of brain augmentation and brain-to-brain communication, I think that there is a net benefit to humanity over the long term to erode that sense of individuality and free will. And if this helps erode that sense of individuality and free will, I think that can only put us in a better position to handle more um, cataclysmic type troubles like climate change or whatever the future holds beyond beyond that current uh, two degrees Celsius gun we're staring down. Um, the the ability to not think of yourself in as this uh, as, as this superhuman one man against the world, this weird American ideal that we have, if if this forces us to have a more collective mindset and realize that, Oh, it's not just my choices that decide my that decide my fate. Um, I think that would have a net benefit on humanity in in the long run. I think in order to get there, it's going to be a lot of bumps and bruises and pain and sorrow and tragedy <laughs> before we arrive to that point. But I think that this type of technology will get us to that point faster than not this technology existing. See, that that's just like such an optimistic view that I cannot. Right, <laughs> right, right. I, I get, I get that it's optimistic, uh, but I think it's, I think it's more optimistic than the idea of trying to harken back to some better time or thinking that 
maybe now, maybe if we could freeze everything right now, we could just, we could say, okay, if we just froze everything right now, no more, no more technological, technological progress, then we could take a deep breath and really examine ourselves and fix all the things that are, that are troubling us. I, I, I just don't, I don't think that that's possible either. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to err on the side that has the, the most upside. Yeah, there's potential for upside. Um, but being developed by companies that then sell your information for advertisements or whatever, you know, like the, I can see very easily where it becomes a, I don't know. It's the American thought process of it, that it's going to be used to drive consumerism. Right. (laughs) So it's, it's, I don't see how it would then erode necessarily self-will when the the main use is going to be well we can you know the mcrib is back and everybody now wants a mcrib now now you can smell it every (laughs) you you smell it when you wake up in the morning because they've pumped the smell into your head (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Um, yeah i i think that that certain certainly they're all the those capitalistic you know boogie like really scary parts of it um However, I do think that there is a tipping point at which if we all admit that we are striving for a 100% consumer-based economy, then you have to say that these technologies are making the consumerism either more efficient or cheaper. It's Stuff is getting cheaper so we can buy more stuff. And then part two is we've got all these enhanced human beings and we kind of have now it's actually going to be cheaper than maintaining enhanced human beings to just have robots make a bunch of this stuff. So maybe if we don't have to have as many workers as producers and we're relying on ourselves as a consumer society, if we've got to keep the consumerism stuff, then we've got to figure out a way to support economically all of the people that live in the society so that they can buy things and now we've finally reached the point where we no longer have to rely on work as our means and we can just get the means (laughs) we get the money as as part of our allowance as our sort of universal allowance and then we can use that to be part of the consumer society and we have mostly automated functions that are building all the things that we want to buy. Um, Cause I think the idea that we're going to uh, manufacture our way out of this, or we're going to get everyone a job and then that will be the solution to society's ills or whatever. I think that is not in the cards. I, I just, I don't think that's the way that the future is going towards we need more workers. <laughs> I don't think that's the way it's going at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think then at what point is there a culture? <laughs> like what culture exists outside of consumerism if that's the way that it goes to get us to say a UBI and um automated everything. So then what is left? Like what is, you know, I don't see how the companies would then be like, "Well, we'll we're fine with just pinging you in the morning to go get your, you know, breakfast or whatever. Um, because there's, 
that's that's why I said like at the beginning, I think that politically we're not at a good place for this to be developed. Oh, right, right, right. And but that's that's the other thing is that I kind of feel like this is going to get developed no matter what and it's going yeah. to hit and so you either, you know, you either get your head wrapped around it and prepared for it or you don't, but that's not going to stop it from happening. <laughs> that, yeah, that's kind of what the I took from the paper that it's more of like a, you know, waving flag saying this is happening in 18 years. So please, please be aware that it's going to happen <laughs> type of type of thing. There's nothing we can do to make it not happen. So I guess the final question is, are you going to get one? Oh yeah. I'm I'm like I think the you know th- there's all the scary stuff and that's the big takeaway from the Eagleman paper is all the caution flags and these are the things that if you are in power you need to be thinking about because there there's a lot of cool tech that you can green light but you need to really consider the ramifications. But when, you know, somebody like me or other people in the dis- disabled community who follow this type of augmentation stuff, you know, all the time, like this is really finally getting to the future that um, I was promised, whatever, back in 2006 when I got diagnosed with RP, they were telling me, mm-hmm. oh, it's just around the corner. We'll have this stuff, brain augmentation or just uh, chip light implantation augmentation that we can do to your eyes and you know less than 10 years you'll have like artificial vision it'll work and you know that's been way longer than 10 years now but this is the the developments from this darpa n3 project even though they're specifically targeted towards the military all of those applications have direct use to help like the disabled and a lot of other functions in society so like while it sucks that the avenues to develop this and get the most funding to expedite the development of this has to go through the military industrial complex in order to make it happen. Um, it's sitting where I am. I, it's hard for me to not like smile and be optimistic that I, I get a chance to like see, see good in my lifetime. Probably that that's pretty awesome to me. And so I, and I think there's going to be like decisions like that for people all over the all over the place. Like, do you take the do you take the deal? Like, could can there be like no more blind or deaf people ever again in the world? But do you take the deal that the military has all this technology too? And like, is that a deal you would take? Does this make it so that you can optimize decision making from leadership positions so that it's not so intuit intuition gut based and you can actually like feed hungry children in a, an incredibly efficient way because you've offloaded that part of your thinking apparatus to a machine and it tells you exactly the most efficient way to do it and then that those things are eradicated like what is the trade-offs are you willing to accept and so that's kind of where i am yeah it's you know, it's, uh, I think what's interesting about this one, um, I was speaking with an artist that her, her child, uh, de- like suffocated during birth and develops a severe like brain injury mm-hmm. from it. And when her child was born, she was assured by doctors that stem cell research would 
advance enough that they would be able to, you know, maybe not reverse everything, but advance enough to where a lot of this would would not happen to her own child. Like, not saying, well, in 10 years, um, this isn't going to happen to anybody else. It's like your exact child. And stem cell research has been, you know, uh, cut insanely right, right. Um, for ridiculous reasons. But it's interesting that because of like this is technology, it's it's there's no way it's going to be cut. Right, you know? right. Like you don't have to take an aborted same... fetus in order to make <laughs> in order to make a brain implant. <laughs> but the um, which is not the only way they get stem right. Cells, I know, but, but that's the, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's going to be the, the the anti-vaxxer, anti against brain augmentation take. They're going to show like a bloody aborted fetus and be like, "This is what they're putting in your brain." <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> the thing, though, it's it's funny because they have the exact same, maybe not exact same, but they have a lot of the same like religious conviction to technology mm-hmm. and mark of the beast yet they're all you know doing their mlm on their facebook phone app um <laughs> but speaking from personal experience um but the technology is not going to stop so yeah i do understand and you know um i would love for nobody to have any disability that can be corrected um you know i don't know if corrected is the right term when you're even talking about this technology, but like evaporated or whatever, yeah. like just not exist. Uh, so it is, you know, I can concede to your point, certainly that I would like for it to be advanced at that point. Um, and the trade-off is like a difficult one. So, yeah, you know, maybe we can reach a point where the, the military has dissolved because uh, nobody learns and is indoctrinated in school anymore, which will surely happen, right? <laughs> right They're not right. going to just beam it into kids' heads that the military is good. <laughs> For some reason, every kid in America just shoots out of bed right at 7.30 in the morning and says the Pledge of Allegiance, and no one knows why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, I'm... You know, thinking about, like, the kid angle and stuff, and this is this is my last point, but... We've talked about like the government influences and we've talked about potential like corporate influences and uh, educational influences and stuff. But what uh, things that I think about, like when I was a kid, like I had a pretty wild imagination, homeschool kids. So a lot of days I was playing outside by myself. So I had to invent lots of cool games and things like that. Um so what I'm really wondering is if you have like hive mind communication capability and kids have it, like the insane scheming and things that can get <laughs> can happen between when a when a group of kids get together on the block. To, so even even if it's just to play a game of kickball, like. It, it didn't take long for me and then a couple of, you know, neighbor friends to figure out, oh, you know, if we spend the night at this one friend's house, he lives close enough to the golf course that at, in the night we can sneak out and we can go play on the golf course. And then we found that um, one of the golf cart buildings was open. And so we would go and we would like joyride the golf carts and things like that. And we we're like 11 years old. 
and we didn't have any kind of hive mind technology. <laughs> and this was like the precursor to, you know, like being 13 and 14 and like emptying a bunch of black powder capsules and things like that and making your own <laughs> bombs and, you know, blowing up stuff in the backyard and all. I, I just am, I want to know in, like all of that type of thing that maybe the governments and police forces and things aren't thinking about like what happens if, you know, a, a gang of like-minded individuals wants to do like real like heist shit, man, you're going to be able to pull off some awesome heists if you have like hive mind capability. <laughs> so, yeah, seriously. So I'm, I'm, I mean, there, there is like this big fear of like a big brother kind of government top down mind control, but I'm also, there's a whole lot of room for rebellion <laughs> when, when this type of stuff hits the street too. So yeah, <laughs> if you, if uh, like ways to get, get one over on the cops, um, Man, I can think of a lot of ways to get one over on the cops with this type of technology. Yeah, I, it it certainly reminded me of uh, season five of The Expanse <laughs> when they're in the in the prison with all the people that have the illegal body modifications. Yeah, and they got to be keep them down at the basement. <laughs> so. Yeah, the one guy that's he's got all of his, and they're like, "Yeah, we could remove him, but he said he'd rather be here." <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that is uh, I that was the other thing I thought about was the all the people in the experience with the body mods, but because I think, you know, just like we've seen with uh, people who vape or whatever, you're gonna have like extremely into body modification dudes that like their whole body is like a rig and they're like just pointless augmentations that they've had done to themselves <laughs> because yeah. it's cool to have like some flashing lights that come out of my elbows when I blink or what whatever you know there's going to be like lots of that type of stuff that's just like guys getting truck nuts but for their body <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be great <laughs> so so I think there's going to be a lot of joy and I still when you talk about the worried of like the erosion of a culture, I think there's still going to be a lot of like different, uh, different cultural, you know, moments that come out of this where people figure out ways to still, you know, find, find a spot to express themselves with it, whether it's through art or through just jacking up their bodies or through doing stupid human tricks because they made themselves augmented to be able to like, you know, do crazy skateboard tricks or whatever the, like, I think there's going to be lots of still, there's still going to be some new cultural things that we've never experienced that will come about because of this type of technology. Yeah. Well, uh, at least we'll be able to live to see it maybe. And they'll have to ban it from the Olympics because the Olympics are pure and we want to see original unaugmented humans compete in those. And we'll all laugh at them because they're all like, doing like old school, you know, like athletic feats when all of us are now augmented where we can all do, you know, like 1080s in our sleep and not even think about it. <laughs> you saying Bolt's going to be 80 years old and people are going to be racing him. Yeah. All of us are going to be able to run like a sub 10, uh, 100 meters. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that's all I had. I hope I hope it was a little bit uplifting at the end, so no one uh, no one has nightmares later. Yes, and we'll be off next week. Yep. No Thanksgiving week, guys. 
but we'll be back soon after that. I still have my notes from last year's um, uh, Thanksgiving stuff, so you can read through that to your family. There you go. Yeah, if you want, why you shouldn't call it Thanksgiving anymore? Yeah, and maybe maybe this was a good episode to give you something to talk about with your family over Thanksgiving that wasn't directly related to current politics. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of Kyle Rittenhouse, you can talk about. Uh, The Mark of the Beast. All right. Well, till next week. Adios.